Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving higher. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Axon Tire has a couple great gifts they want to give away to you. One is if the, uh, you have some cold hands, Sean's going to be coming to Kearney, Nebraska. So look out, all the people in Kearney, Nebraska, your, your, uh, your housing costs just, uh, just rose because Sean's going to grace you. With his presence so check that out so you property taxes man just got covered sean's come to town so you got so if you he's gonna need a pair of these uh deer skin gloves that uh axon's giving away because it's gonna be a little chilly about 30 or so 35 degrees or so wise here so get those deer skin gloves you want a pair of those send an email to marketing at axontire.com and they'll get those over to you also if you are the first 150 people to sign up for the moving iron summit you get $50 off of your registration fee thanks to the great people over at Axon. So check that out. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution in trans- for transparent equipment values and auctional pricing insights. This podcast is also brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. Their dealer connects CRMI app with integrated inventory management is, on, is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work today. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. He's nice enough to come on and talk about what's happening in the marketplace. So Sean, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing good, Casey. Really good. Coming to the great beef state of Nebraska, are you? Flying to Lincoln uh, tomorrow afternoon. I'll be there. That and, uh, is, I sp- that's rad, dude. You're gonna, this is going to blow your mind. You've been to Nebraska before? Been yeah. All- yeah. Yeah. So most people in Nebraska think Kearney's like a hard stop, and then there's still another two thirds of the state to go once you get past that. But they they uh, there's a there's another part of Nebraska out there that uh, 
most people in Nebraska don't know exists. So it's, it's exciting. So, well, I drive from Lincoln to Kearney, right on. And uh, it looks like there won't be any inclement weather. It can be as cold as it wants to be, as long as there's no blizzards. I'm I'm good to go. So I think you should be solid there. I don't think there's any blizzards in the forecast. But hey, it is it is Nebraska. Anything can happen anytime. So just be ready. <laughs> now, now I'm getting worried that they're not forecasting anything. <laughs> It could hail. It could have a blizzard. You could have mock mock one winds. Whatever. It's Nebraska. All kinds of things can happen here <laughs> at any given time. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. <laughs> All right, man. So a lot of stuff happened as usual. Um, one thing jumped out to me when I was going through the uh, some headlines and stuff I was reading before we started going here was there'd been all this talk about soybean crush and what that looked like and how there's this big lag and everything else and everyone was concerned about what that looked like and the effect that you'd see. And then lo and behold, there's a report coming out where they're expecting to see a pretty significant jump in the overall soybean crush. So I guess looking at that, Sean, uh, I guess, what are your thoughts there? Well, I mean, the crush is going to be as strong as it needs to be to cover the demand for meal and oil and bean oil prices have skyrocketed because of the big crop problems with palm oil in Indonesia. And so that is creating a very strong crush margin, which means Fresh beans have come in and the crushers are going to crush. I mean, there's nothing going to stop them from doing it um, if the prices are good enough to be there. And with the oil price being where it is and the meal price, you know, not not exciting, but, you know, the oil price where it is, the combined crush margin is very good. So so I don't see anything, any issues at all with strong demand for bean crushers as long as bean oil is this high. So. Right on. All right. So another one that I was reading, you know, they, we you'd, and you'd talked about this before. So. Looking at the uh, the wheat crop as it got planted, and there was a lot of concern about the drought issues that we saw in planting in some dry areas, and, and the concern of the overall um, you know wheat production as we started looking through uh, the fall um, emergence season. And there's been quite a increase in the overall um, amount of emergence that we've seen, and the overall. Um, quality of the wheat that we're starting to see most of that's coming out of montana as a hard red winter wheat up there except but they've also had some pretty timely timely rains as well so you've talked about that that you're gonna we were gonna see some more of that um el nino style pattern start to emerge and and a little more moisture coming into the area and i think this is a good indicator of that yeah we've got we've got some moisture in a lot of areas you know like i said i mean we're not gonna break a three-year drought in you know a couple of weeks yeah. in a couple of weeks but it, it's provided enough moisture that the worst case scenario going to dormancy is not going to happen it's still bad and the conditions overall are still sure. not good but it is helped um and um you know as long as we avoid a long cold winter with winter kill um if we have good moisture coming out of dormancy we should be able to rehabilitate uh the crop significantly even the areas that aren't in looking very good and and remember, we've had two poor crops back to back. So I'm still expecting if we have the El Nino early start to the spring, good moisture uh, kind of spring conditions that would really allow for a lot of growth and a lot of uh, rehabilitation to the current um, conditions for winter wheat. I still think we're going to have a pretty significant rebound in the crop. And that means, you know, for the first time in two or three years, we're going to get larger ending stocks here in the U.S., which um, you know, we've been needing to see in order to, to, to kind of put this shortage issue, at least uh, kick the can down the road a little bit further um, and uh, and give us a chance to have some more reserves going into the Gleisberg cycle and that one in 100 drought we've been talking about. 
So. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about that just for a little bit here. So the Glassberg cycle. So that, that was something I was thinking about the other day when we, we got off. We had a good conversation about what's happening in Brazil and and the overwhelming amount of uh, you know information that's coming in that's just showing it's going to be a huge crop now. Like you said, it's still early. A lot of things can happen. The Glassberg cycle, you talked about that being in 2025, correct? 24, 25, something like that. The cycle, the normal cycles as we – see them so just just as a uh the glassberg cycles is, is really 89 years plus or minus one i mean that's uh, that's you know that's the range so the actual worst palmer drought uh severity index that we saw in the 30s was actually 1934 okay okay so 1934 that would say that you know that the glassberg cycle could be anywhere from 2023 to 2025 Okay, and then the way you determine what what year is the, is that year is you have to align it with El Nino La Nina and how that cycle is aligning with the Glassberg cycle. It's not always does not always align exactly the same. That's why there's some variability. It can be anywhere you know it could be a few years off one way or the other. The way the normal cycle should operate is that we're ending our 22 year, two year. Um, La Nina cycle that should lead to a temporary El Nino in 23. You're not, you cannot have a major drought in the U S with an El Nino. It's, it just does not happen. So if this is an El Nino year, you're not going to have a Glassberg cycle in 23. Um, but this is also not the time for in the cycle for a major long La Nina, uh, El Nino. This is the time for a short, sweet El Nino. So the, if the cycles operate the way they normally do, we would have a short El Nino in 23 into early 24. The El Nino retracts, and then your Glassberg cycle is 24, 25. Uh, one thing we did mention is that we had this Tonga eruption early this year. Yeah. That deposited water vapor in the stratosphere instead of sulfur dioxide. It's never happened before in anyone's memory over the last thousand years that we've had this happen. All past large VEI, volcanic explosivity index, six or higher volcanic eruptions, which this one was a VEI-6, actually made to the mesosphere, um, were sulfur dioxide uh, aerosols in the, in the atmosphere. And we know exactly what that means. It's a cooling effect. And it actually promotes El Nino the follow, within, within 12 months' time. So, But this did not do that. This pumped water vapor, which is actually a creates a warming effect because Whereas sulfur dioxide blocks the sun from coming in, but allows heat to escape. Uh, water vapor does block the sun from coming in, but it traps the, the, the heat, heat from, from escaping. So mm -hmm. in, in net net, it causes a warming effect. If you look at what's the mechanism for why sulfur dioxide stratospheric volcanoes create an El Nino effect, it has to do with the temperature differential of the land versus the ocean. Land cools and warms quicker than the ocean does. So if you have a cooling effect, it tends to cause uh, westerly winds, whereas the high, you know, it, it alters the high pressure system of the Southern Oscillation Index and causes westerly winds, which produces the El Nino effect. Speculation from research that's been doing by, from a lot of people like NASA and other smart scientists that are putting papers out, they are speculating that because this is creating a short-term warming effect, if the land heats warmer more faster than the ocean will get sort of a, a reverse effect, meaning it may elongate or delay the onset, uh, the onset 
of El Nino. So instead of the normal cycle kicking in, Casey, that El Nino comes in 23, early 24, it may delay El Nino's arrival until 24. We don't know for sure. We've never had this. Uh, no one, even the smartest scientists out there who are way smarter about it than me, all we can do is speculate. Now, once we go through this, we'll know what a water vapor volcanic eruption aerosol in the stratosphere means. All it can do now is say, right now, we're going to follow what the cycle should normally be doing. And as long as that cycle is following normal parameters towards El Nino, we're sticking with the, the historical cycles, which says El Nino in 23, Glassberg cycle 24, 25. If we start diverging, and we really feel the next three months are the key to watch, because there's a certain pathway we need to be on if the normal cycles are in place. And if we fall off the wagon on that and we diverge, and uh, you know, there's a lot of indicators that we look at, Casey, to help determine whether we're on message or not. And we discussed this in a podcast we put out a couple of weeks ago. But if we start diverging from normal behavior, then we're going to start to think that maybe this, this eruption is having an impact on the El Nino-La Nina cycle. And if it does look like El Nino is going to be pushed out into 24, then 23 could be the the Gleisberg cycle. We're not, that our official forecast still is 24, 25, because right now we're not seeing anything yet to suggest we're not still on message with the normal cycle. But we do want to, everyone to understand that this kind of an eruption is unprecedented. It was large and it is going to have an impact to whether it is having an impact to whether, well, no one knows, I don't know, and neither do all these physicists and scientists know, is how quickly will this erupt was will a water vapor impact Earth's climate or how quickly you know would it impact the El Nino La Nina cycle? The answer is we we don't know, but we're I'm, I'm going to be watching to see if that effect is going to happen early enough to push off the normal cycle. So so right now 2425 is still our forecast. But if within three months we see a major divergence and it looks like El Nino is not going to come, remember we don't need La Nina for a drought. We just don't we just can't have El Nino if it's flat or like neutral conditions? The Dust Bowl we had neutral conditions. The 2012 drought, the uh, the La Nina El Nino was actually neutral. We just need neutral territory or La Nina. We just can't have El Nino. So, answer the, a real real long winded answer to your question is we're still expecting 24 25, but there is a possibility that we might get the Glassberg cycle in 23 because of this eruption that we just have to be aware of and look for the signpost as we move ahead. So. Okay, so when you're looking at that and you see what Indian stocks we have now, and let's say we have a, a, a banger year here in 23 and everything goes crazy, 24, 25, we have an opportunity to to erase all the all the gains that we made in stocks. And I mean, I guess now as you're looking out long-term here, now I'm asking for your crystal ball here, but as you're looking out long-term and you're looking at these ending stocks, we have we have we – have, could have up to, th to three years here where we have really stressed stocks, uh, world stocks based on, on what you just talked about. Well, if you look at how bad the Dice Bowl peak was, so like 2012 was the last time we had a drought that it was very, very significant, yeah. very significant. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it was, it was a high order significance, but if you look at the Palmer drought severity index in 1934, Casey, it was like twice as bad, Yeah, twice as bad. Now, I believe the corn yield in 2012 was 120 and it was supposed to be 160. I think something like that. Yeah. This would be worse, meaning, meaning we would be 
further below trend than that. Then what? Well, no, no, no. I'm saying the differential. Like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you're saying. Yeah. You got to, well, if you look at the percentage below trend, so 160 minus 120 divided by 160, we were 25% below trend in 2012. Because the Glasper cycle is an order of magnitude worse, we would expect yields to be down more than 25% below trend line yields. So, outstanding. 180. What's what's the trend? Yeah. You know, I mean, probably 180, something 80, like yeah. that. So 180, you know, 25% or more below 180. You know, that's what we're looking at um, because our yields have tended to keep growing. You know, we're, we, it's always referenced to where where the trend line deal is. But but if 2012 produced 25% below trend line, um, and that is was absolutely not as bad as it can get during a Gleisberg cycle drought. Um, you know, we would, we, let's put it this way, we would at least expect that, but probably expect something worse than that. Um, what would, so, so, so what would that mean? Like 140-ish? 180 minus 180 times 0.25. We were looking at a yield of around 135 if we match what we did in 2012. A 135 yield, Casey, you know, I'm not sure exactly what that means other than it is really bad. Yeah. Yeah, I mean we're struggling to keep. We're struggling now with one seventy. You know what I mean? One seventies, and we're struggling <laughs> yeah. to keep ending stocks from yeah. bare minimum pipeline. You know, we're we're dodging. We're dodging. You know, we're dodging around dodgeball, right? We're ducking. We're mm-hmm. one thirty five. I, I quite frankly, I just can't even. You know, <laughs> it's hard to imagine that kind of a shortfall, um, and and what that might mean uh, to price, and what that might mean to livestock. Um, you know, what that might mean to the uh, food shortages that we've been dodging a bullet around here the last few years. You know, I'm not, I, 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 I my, my goal here is not to be a Debbie Downer or, you know, gloom and doomer. And that's, but, but, but people have to understand what that would look like. It would be really, 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 really bad. Yeah. It'd be really right. bad. Yeah. The, the dust bowl was really, 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 really bad. It was. Right? Yeah. I mean, yep. that means there's zero exports coming out of the U.S. of grains, period. None. Zero. We would completely stop exporting because we wouldn't have it. We'd have, we would need it for ourselves. That's essentially the way I see it. It would mean we have zero. We will not be able to export to anybody in the world. What would that mean? You know, you could go down the trickle-down sure. effect. Uh, and and, 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 and it doesn't mean everyone else is going to have those. Like I said, I want I want to emphasize this is a U.S. This particular cycle is U.S. based problem. All right, that's my next question. And so, it if is it going to amplify something somewhere else where it's, it's wicked dry here and it's crazy well, what someplace else? The, the, you know, the, the the Earth's climate is a self-correcting mechanism. If it, if there's high pressure here, there's low pressure here. If there's too much moisture here, there's dry weather. You know, it, it has a way of just correcting itself. So yeah, where where we'd be like this here, there's other places they'd be you know looking for 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 boats to try to get around and other places will have very good weather. So I, I don't mean to paint this that everyone's going to have the, the worst crop in a hundred years, but the U S is so important in so many crops that even if everyone else had record crops and we have that kind of a crop, it's really, 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 really bad, really, really bad. So, so whether it happens in 23 or it gets, or, or it, 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 in, in these, this eruption, accelerates the cycle to being a little earlier than we would currently think, 
or whether it follows the normal cycle of La Nina, El Nino, and we have it more in 24, 25, it's only maximally a few years away at maximally. And so I think everyone who's a producer, everyone who's an end user, everyone in government in the world needs to be aware of this cycle, needs to be aware of what it might mean, and needs to uh, act accordingly. Um, when there is available supplies, for example, with Russia bustling with, with silos overflowing in wheat, you know, I think if I was a government, and I was a country that has to buy food all the time, I would be looking for every opportunity to stockpile and build up inventories, you know, when I have a chance to do so. Um, you know, and, and, and if, if, if 23 is the good, is we have a good crop year, like I'm still expecting, and this eruption does not change the cycle, you're going to have one more year to do exactly that. And then batten down the hatches. Right. If it turns out in three months time that we're starting to get the signals, Casey, that this is not happening. We're not going to get the El Nino. This is going to be more of a neutral ish year mm-hmm. and the glass cycle is on the table. And we're heading down that path that everything changes dramatically to what everyone needs to be doing because you're not going to have that big crop coming. You're not going to have that temporary windfall and you're going to have to take some much more quick, severe corrective measures to handle what that looks like. Um, So the next three months are really important, Casey. I mean, it's like crazy important uh, if, whether we go down this, this proper path uh, or, or this eruption disrupts the the cycle to where it's going to be earlier. And I don't, like I said, I'm not, uh, you know, right now so far, I want everyone to be clear. What I'm seeing so far is El Nino was supposed to peak in October and we're, and certain things that we're looking for, like the Southern Oscillation Index, sea surface temperatures, Central Pacific, um, um, the Indian Ocean dipole weakening, they are actually starting to occur. Like we're seeing the kind of initial signs, at least, that we would expect to see if the cycle would, if the cycle is starting down the correct path. Now it's early, and it doesn't mean those cycles can't revert or change. But we, so far, the start says we're on track with the 24-25 cycle. But it's we're in like the early, early uh, development days of these trends. Now we need to see these trends continue to play out in this manner for the next three months. If they do, then, then all is well. And our, and our original forecast is on message, but no, if, if, if anyone is making a weather forecast and is not appropriately handicapping what this eruption might mean to weather being different from normal, they're not doing their job in my opinion, because this was an event. We it's a one, it was a one in 1000 year event, quite frankly. It's a very unusual event. And so one needs to understand we may not see business as usual in climate over the next few years and to be on guard. So so if this the drought situation happens like you're talking about, then if you look at the uh you know the, the cattle herd and, and the, that's just gonna continue to see liquidation there, correct? Well, what would happen is this brief period of the concept that we've done herd liquidating. And then we're back to rebuilding. That would end in a hurry. Right. Pasture growth would be gone. Feed demand, feed prices would be gone. Prices would be too high. No one could afford to keep the animals, and we would start liquidating again. As hard as that is to believe, we would start another liquidation cycle um, a- until some point the cattle price eventually uh, rises to make even 
whatever the price is for corn at that time worthwhile. You know, it's, it'd be a very, very bad situation for livestock producers, extremely bad situation because they're just coming out from underneath. They're finally going to get their chance to have a, you know, a 12, 18, 24 months of good prices and, and, and at least feed that will work. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they don't get that and they miss that, that um, equity rebuild cycle, um, it's just, it's just going to be extremely, extremely challenging for them. And, and, and it would mean that, that for that in order for them to survive, Casey, they really have to protect feed prices to the upside. Like they really, they have to quickly get $7 corn bought, even though that doesn't sound like a great, the right thing to do. If this is going, if we're going down that path, even $7 corn would be a fantastic price compared to where we might be going if we have something like that. So, so, you know, I'm not here to, like I said, uh, so far, so good. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we're going with, and you know, we pray every day that things are going to work out, that this is the good year for production. But, you know, I didn't create the volcano. Um, it happened. We know what happened. We know what it did. We don't know what exactly what it means, but we know that when you throw that much aerosols in the stratosphere of that magnitude, weather is going to change. The question is how much and when. Yeah. We don't know. We know exactly how much sulfur dioxide is required. We know exactly when sulfur dioxide impacts the weather. And we have multiple examples of what that looks like. This is, this will be our first, well, when this is over, well, now the next, if this ever were to happen again, Casey, we say, oh yeah, when we had her, the volcano eruption Tonga, this is what happened. We would know right now we're guessing. Um, but we, at least we can be smart enough to know what signs to look for to say, are we, right. is, it, is it impacting it right now? If it is, we know to look, we know what we're going to look, we know what, what that looks like. If it's not, we know what that looks like. And that's going to tell us whether the impact from the eruption is going to be more immediate or it's going to be kicked or the can's going to be kicked down the road a little further. Awesome. I'm just getting. So the way, what I, the way I would see it is everyone needs to stay in tune to your show because clearly we'll be talking about this in the months to come. So. I didn't know the Glassberg cycle was until you said it like a month or two ago. I'm like, what is that? Sean and his, and his made up terms. Then all of a sudden it's real. Look at this. It's actually a real thing. Look at that. It, it, it is a very real thing. Yeah. There's people that know about it, you know, that, uh, you know, don't get on CNN on, you know, and, and don't, uh, aren't spokespeople for, uh, you know, social media. You know, it, it is a very known cycle in the scientific community. Um, it's been repeating for a very long time. Um, and, and it, it, it has arrived and, uh, and the, the question now is just pinpointing the correct yeah. time frame. And, and if it wasn't for the eruption, uh, our job would be exceedingly easier, mm-hmm. uh, but because that has happened, um, you know, it, it makes, it makes the forecast a, a little more challenging. Um, so one has to accept what we can know and one has to accept what we can't know. I can't know for sure what, when or how much the eruption will impact the El Nino Lenina cycle. I know it will have an impact, just right. like sulfur dioxide has an impact the El Nino Lenina cycle. And I'm, I'm so I'm smart enough to know what I don't know, but I'm smart enough to know what to look for to know what's actually happening. And I think that's the most important takeaway is watch what's actually happening to determine whether that impact is being felt, is going to be felt now or not. And, um, and either way, life goes on. We, that, you know, we shall overcome, um, but but there can either way there is action that everyone can take in agriculture to mitigate to some extent the risks. And so the most important thing is not worrying about you know I can't believe it's going to happen in twenty three. This is not fair. You still take the corrective action you can to make it 
less impactful to you. Right. And then you throw a grand seller minimum on top of all that. And man, it's just, it's just a great. It is a, it's a remarkable time for climate Casey, because we are in a grand solar cycle. Not every Gleisberg cycle occurs in a grand solar cycle, by the way. Uh, 1930s was not a grand solar cycle. Um, In the, in the uh, 1980s, we were not in a grand solar cycle. The last time we were in a grand solar cycle with the Gleisberg cycle was 400 years ago. Uh, that occurred during the Maunder minimum. Oh, yeah. We had a Gleisberg cycle, and we had um, grand, you know, grand solar and a Gleisberg cycle coming together. So it it just it just so happens that these long term cycles are just aligning right now. Um, and on top of it, we're moving into a uh, by 2025, we're going to be in a synchronous cold Pacific, cold Atlantic sea surface temperature cycle. Um, the last time we saw that was in the late 1960s and 1970s, which creates very, very uh, challenging, uh, long, colder, shorter growing seasons, that sort of thing. Uh, and so all those three cycles haven't occurred in over 400 years, meaning 400 years ago is when all these cycles all lined up like this at the same time. So there you have it. I didn't make them up. They're there. They're natural. They're recurring. And it just so happens we happen to be alive in our productive years to witness an extraordinary, extraordinary period for uh, natural climate variability, and you know, it's it's it, it's it's exciting to watch it. At the same time, it's it's catastrophically scary. Right. Well, that's good stuff, Sean. I'm lucky to be alive right now. You got all this good stuff going on. It's great. <clears throat> all right, man. So you're gonna you're gonna be incarnate. You're gonna be giving a talk. What's your you're gonna be hitting some of the stuff here we just talked about in your in your speech? Yeah, I mean, uh, every speech I'm doing now that I really started up with, you know, I start, you know, I talk about this, you know, the, the normal cycles, and I am throwing in this uh, this eruption now in greater detail because mm-hmm. it is going to be these aerosols. The, the best guess that NASA and people way way smarter about it than I am um, suggest that these aerosols will will float around in the stratosphere this water vapor aerosols for um, up to three years before they dissipate to where their impact's going to start to be mitigated. So, so this is going to be, you know, some kind of an impact. Um, you know, remember now we're, we're uh, it's, it was a February eruption. Right. So we're almost one year in. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we were looking for another two year potential impact to climate in different ways. Um, and so, you know, we're just going to keep an eye on how, you know, how this might impact and alter the uh, weather over the next few years. And then once those water vapor dissipates, then we can get back to, you know, not having to worry about what aberrations they may, they may occur. Now, and, if, and when we do get an eruption that's sulfur dioxide, we'll know exactly what it means. Unfortunately, this one threw us a curveball. So, yep. well, you know, we're lucky that it, it went off underwater and not on the surface. Cause then we'd have a whole nother issue. Well, I, I would I would view the whole thing um, agreed if it happened above the surface or it happened closer to where a lot of people live the the, hum, the humanitarian issue the immediate humanitarian issue could have been absolutely catastrophic yep. um, the tsunami issue could have been catastrophically uh, a catastrophic situation um, had it been sulfur dioxide a volcano of that size sulfur dioxide it would have put us into the deep deep freeze. Um, which, which would be, have been really, really, really bad too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this may or may not 
cause an issue in 23. The cycle, the Glassberg cycle is occurring no matter what. I mean, so, so like, you know, the, the, the eruption is causing the Glassberg cycle. The Glassberg cycle is coming whether we like it or not. Um, it's just a question of whether it's 23 or not. And so if it turns out that we dodge a bullet and it's not 23, then this eruption really will not have done a whole lot of collateral damage to what would have already been the case. So that's really, we, we are very fortunate, Casey. Very, very fortunate that it was an underwater volcano. Uh, it will be will be uh, less fortunate if it does create the glassworks cycle one year sooner. Mm-hmm. But the jury's still out on that. Okay. All right, Sean, good stuff as usual. Folks, want to reach out to you, get more information about what it is you're doing at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Lots of information on there about our weather cycles, capital flow cycles, more about how we do and what we do to make our price forecast to see if that kind of information would be of value to your listeners in agriculture. Right on, man. Sean, I appreciate you being on the podcast, man. Great to be safe, here, Casey. Thanks so much. Safe travels to uh, the great state of Nebraska. So Will do. Will All right, buddy. I'm Casey right. Seymour, Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel for the video version of this here. Very podcast. Check me out on movingironllc.com for everything Moving Iron related. And uh, check out the uh, blog post, the library of the Moving Iron podcast, as well as the information Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th uh, through the 13th. <clears throat> if you want to get that $50 discount, send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com, and I will get that over to you. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour, Sean Haggett. Let's go folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's IronComps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century